Brixton Calling. I'm on my way to meet a fantastic, highly respected personal injury lawyer. His name's Trevor Sterling. But there's more to him than that. About nine years ago, probably ten years ago, he was watching a, a programme on Mary C. Cole with his young son. And he said to his young son, wouldn't it be great if we could get a statue of the first black named woman statue in this country? And he tweeted that out. Anyway, it was retweeted by the Mary Sicole Trust. And 14 years after they first started their campaign, that statue became a reality. But Trevor, as I said, is a um, respected personal injury lawyer. And he actually helped change the law with the way that people look at suicide now with uh, insurance claims. So people have to have a look at the circumstances surrounding somebody's suicide before they just, you know, say suicide, that's the end of it. There's so much about him that I could talk about now, but there's no point. As I always say at these things, let's go and listen to Trevor. He's a very interesting man. Right, okay, Trevor, you're not just from the Mary Seacole Trust. Tell, tell us a little bit about your role. I, I'm a, a lawyer at uh, Moore Blatch, a, a partner at Moore Blatch, and I am involved in major trauma law, which, for those that don't know, is uh, investigating and supporting victims of major trauma. An example would be the Croydon uh, Rail disaster, uh, the derailment. Um, so I was the lead lawyer on that, but there have been some other high-profile uh, tragedies in which I've been involved, such as in relation to the Jimmy Savile uh, child abuse uh, scandal, where I acted for a number of the victims. Didn't you also have a landmark uh, win at the uh, the Law Lords, changing the law on suicide? I did back in 2008. I was successful having concluded a case which ran for about uh, eight, nine years, in fact, and went to the House of Lords, which is the highest law, the highest court in the land. Um, and that was about changing the law, in, increasing the recognition of mental health issues, and in particular, uh, suicide following major trauma. It was the first of its type uh, since 1957. I'm pleased to say that law students out there, if they're studying law, will come across that case as it features within. Uh, it will feature within their studies. We'll make sure they listen to this. <laughs> you might be inundated with questions now. So. Um, what makes you specialise in this sort of law? I'm just getting to why well, it can all be tied up with what you do outside of that, but what makes you um, practise it in this? Well, I, I left school, actually, having underachieved, and um, I wasn't uh, aiming to be a lawyer at the time. I was very fortunate in many ways. A, a career advisor uh, gave me three job options, uh, and one of the three was to, to start with a law firm. The other two, by the way, was to be a warehouseman and, uh, or a te tennis racket stringer. So um, I'm happy I made the choice uh, to start with a law firm. And um, once I was there working amongst other lawyers, and it was, by the way, a trade union firm, so that instilled in me various principles around supporting each other uh, in, in relation to membership organisations and dealing with social injustices. But I was there for 28 years, and in fact I became their first you know, black partner and the youngest partner there by the age of 27, 28. So um, that was already a very good foundation, and the work that I did there was um, major trauma. Um, and so it's uh, an area which I've just developed, and here at Moore Blatch, uh, really proud to be here, I've been given the opportunity to develop a, a team. Uh, we're a team of major trauma specialists, and we get involved 
in helping victims uh, as best as we can. And we have some great results and I've got a great team here. Thank you. Right, now then, Mary C. Cole, tell us all about this. Well, Mary Seacole, as you know, is a Crimean uh, war hero, a, a Jamaican, uh, who uh, back in the 1850s in particular went, went off to the Crimea. But her story takes us back to the early 1800s when she was born uh, and uh, really supported her, her mother running the lodgings. Um, and she was an incredible lady because she was really caring and compassionate um, and determined always to give support to... Uh, those around her. She was a, a, She travelled a fair bit as well to places like Panama and other places. She was an entre entrepreneur. Uh, but one of the things that really struck me about her was that when the war broke out in the Crimea, which is now modern-day Ukraine, uh, she had this determination to give support to uh, the British who were out there. And what she did was to come to England in the first place uh, and to try and enlist to go out with um, the group of nurses that were going to be going out, led by Florence Nightingale. But she was rejected, and rejected several times. Now, many people at age 49 or 50 would not have made that choice um, to come over here and to want to go to support the war effort, but she was undeterred, and she went off to the Crimea uh, using her own funds... Uh, she travelled through where uh, Florence was, a couple hundred miles away uh, from the front line. Uh, she stayed there one night and she went off to the front line essentially and she created the British Hotel where she gave uh, tremendous support to um, the soldiers in what was a, a horrific war. Um, the cold environment, the, 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 the actual environment was, was not a place for anybody outside of war, but there she was. Uh, giving support and comfort um, to the uh, British soldiers and would also go out onto the front line um, and not just support British soldiers, she would just support people that uh, were injured and in need of help. So an incredible story and she then returned to um, England after the abrupt end of the war um, and was bankrupt because the war did end so abruptly, she had many supplies and there was no way of her um, being able to uh, be recompensed for that. So having become bankrupt here, um, the good fortune for her was that she was so well admired. She was known as Mother Seacole. A huge festival, in fact, uh, was arranged to help raise funds for her. And, and towards the end of her life, uh, she happily died uh, in, in a way which was far more comfortable. So a happy outcome to what was... Sorry, Trevor, did she have um, admirers of all class? She had admirers of all class, uh, all backgrounds. Uh, the one thing about being caring and compassionate is that it knows no colour. Um, it knows no bounds other than, you know, what the heart desires. And that, that was the thing about Mary, is that she really just cared for people. Um, in, in, in a, I mean, Florence Nightingale uh, it was somebody that was highly regarded and respected, and, and, and rightfully so. But she was, if anything, was probably more part of the establishment. And there has been some suggestion that Mary wasn't uh, a nurse, but of course she was. There wasn't registered nursing back then, and to be a nurse really was about the heart and being caring and compassionate. So she was all of those things. And when she died, and she's buried in London, um, she was sadly forgotten in, in a way which is inexcusable, really, uh, because this is a, a pioneer. This is somebody who um, looked into the face of racism and didn't allow it to deter her, showed great courage, 
she represents so many things a woman of, of a certain age at that time who was incredibly brave uh, to go out there and to give the support that she did and she deserves and deserved her place in history and that's what the Mary Seacole Trust uh, has been looking to, to establish further to the unveiling of her statue in 2016. Well, that just hurt my heart when you said that she was sadly forgotten. But you're doing your utmost to bring her back to recognition. Me as a young girl, I, rem- I know all about Florence Nightingale and the war, like how wonderful she was, but I can tell you I never heard about Mary Seagull. So you're doing your best to uh, inform younger black people as well, maybe, you know, that don't know about her? Yeah, it's very much part of, uh, of uh, the history of this country, uh, but uh, importantly also part of black history. And black history is a significant part of, of this country's history. It, it's incredible that you could have somebody who did what she did uh, in the 1800s. And, and why it's, I believe, so important is because when we think back, we often think to the Second World War um, and the huge contribution from the Windrush generation that followed them Sometimes we think back to the First World War, but we don't think back to the Crimean War necessarily. And there what, what year was the Crimean War? Uh, 1850. Um, so it was a, a period which, when you think in terms of modern history, it sounds like it's such a long time ago. But if I was to tell you that when she died, actually Winston Churchill uh, was born, it kind of makes it feel uh, more, more modern. Um, and uh, actually, uh, I think it's such a crucial part of our history uh, that I'm really pleased that it's on the school curriculum. Uh, and although Michael Gove back in 2013, I think it was, uh, looked to remove it from the curriculum, there was a huge backlash. And so she has a rightful place on the curriculum. But we need to do more because it's not just about Mary Seacole as a person. It's about Mary Seacole and the qualities which she had. They were truly inspirational. And if we live our lives by those qualities of being caring and compassionate, if that's what makes us successful because we care for each other, then what a great society uh, in which we will live. She wasn't a person about huge materials. She was a person who was about uh, giving back in the sense of, of helping others. So we use those qualities to inspire and instill confidence in, in other people uh, from the black community, but also from all uh, communities, actually, because we have to care for each other and be compassionate alongside each other. So uh, as a person who was actually of mixed race... Um, she is a great representative of diversity. She certainly was. All right, let's just... OK, that's one of your points. So, Trevor, we've got a film coming up. You've got a film, look at me trying to take ownership. <laughs> You've got a film coming up and... Um, one of your points were how the Sickhole film will signify a step in the right direction, signifies a step in the right direction for the recognition of black women as integral to Britain's social fabric. Can you explain? Well, the the, uh, the film is a, a, an independent um, film um, that that's coming out, um, and it's a, regarded as a Hollywood film. The reason why that's important is because of the huge exposure that will be achieved and, and hopefully global recognition of, of uh, an individual who's really important for the reasons that I've, I've mentioned. In 2016, following a 13-14 year campaign, uh, we achieved, uh, the charity, uh, the unveiling of a statue of Mary, which was to be the first statue 
of a named black female anywhere in the UK. And it's worth me repeating that, that it took until 2016 for us to have a statue in this country of a named uh, black female. Uh, and that's incredibly uh, important and also incredibly, uh, incredibly surprising. So uh, the next step, it seems to me, if there is to be a film, is again to magnify her qualities, the qualities of somebody who uh, was a, a black woman, uh, who was uh, a woman, who was a woman of age, uh, who's incredibly brave. And what uh, an opportunity to symbolise somebody who, who was such an incredible individual and tell that story uh, and allow people to experience her qualities and be in, inspired by them. I recently done a piece, Trevor, um, about knife crime, of course, because it's quite relevant at the moment. But um, a part of what I wrote was uh, a lot of women, you know, black families getting bashed and the women, but what we don't talk about is the working poor mother that is trying her best to keep her family going. And a lot of these women may have worked for local councils and the jobs have all gone, so now they're cleaning or their husbands are, you know, uh, security. So, I mean, you know, in a way, it, it's, we need to shift the way people look at black women. What do you think? I think... Um... I think that's absolutely right. In fact, there's one of the sad things in society right now is that there is often a negative perception of people of a certain background, and the, the black community has had real difficulty in terms of how many of us are, are perceived. And within that, of course, there is the um, relationship, I guess, in terms of perception of uh, black men uh, as well as uh, black uh, women and the the truth is if, if I'm talking specifically about uh, women black women in society I, I think back to my own mother my mother worked uh, in Brixton way back when uh, and the one thing about her was that she was incredibly hard-working she was incredibly loving and supportive but she worked nights in those earlier years. And the reason why she worked nights, and I used to look out of my window and see her going off to work and feel really troubled that my mum was going off. But the reason why she did that was to be at home for me uh, when I got, went to school, uh, when I got back from school. And uh, the, the, the caring uh, nature and the supportive nature of her has made sure that I have a reference point. And actually that reference point is very similar to Mary Seacole, which is why I admire Mary, because I think if Mary was my mother, um, she would be speaking to me in the same way that my mother even still does now. Uh, as a mature lawyer, uh, my mother is still my mother and, and, and still inspires me. Now, if we work through society based on those qualities of, of being caring and compassionate, if we're not looking for quick fixes to find means, uh, whether it be uh, the car we drive or the job we have to have, or the level of qualifications that we're so meant to have in order to achieve in society. If actually what we are about is being caring and compassionate, then we will have a better society. But there is a reality. There's so much pressure on us to achieve material um, outcomes, etc., that many in society are disenfranchised. And if they are disenfranchised and if they give up hope if they feel that uh, life will not be fair to them through social injustice, 
then it's not a surprise that many people will go off in uh, the wrong direction and they will need uh, redirection. Uh, and again, Mary's role and our role on behalf of Mary is to help with that redirection through inspiration. But we also have to challenge a society where, for example, many people will end up in, in jobs which uh, are going to uh, provide them with glass ceilings and, and then they're not going to progress even though they deserve to do so. We have to take on the challenge of social inequality in the workplace, racial inequality in the workplace, gender imbalance in the workplace and remove that ceiling, break through the ceiling, give people hope and insofar as those that do engage in knife crime, and I say that because it's topical, we have to build a bridge. We have to go over that bridge and we have to understand what it is in the minds of those that have taken to crime. But we also have to invite them across the bridge uh, to a place where there is hope, where there is uh, a chance for them to to achieve uh, great things. But that bridge has got to be made up of uh, compassion uh, and being caring. And if we can build that bridge, then I, I, I hope for a better society and that's what Mary Seacole would have wanted us to to do. I don't think I've asked you why your interest in Mary, where's it come from? How, why do you love her so? Um, I love her because my parents are from Jamaica and um, she was Jamaican of course. Uh, I love her because of the the personal challenges I've had uh, to, to progress in, in my career has taken broad shoulders, it's taken determination it's taken being able to take the knockbacks and I, I want to be able to share that story. But an example of somebody who had greater knockbacks or greater challenges is Mary. So if anything, I guess I'm part of the legacy from her uh, and in order for her qualities to be understood, if somebody like me can achieve and credit her for that, then I think we've got a really good opportunity of, of, of improving our society. On, a, on a, a curious note, actually, because how I got involved with the Mary Seacole Trust, as it now is, uh, wasn't through great research or understanding of Mary, but in fact I was watching uh, Horrible Histories with my uh, son, and he was taken by this comic uh, episode which was uh, involved a discussion between Mary and Florence in front of a publicist. And the publicist at the end of it suggested that um, Mary had been unfairly treated and perhaps she should be credited with a statue. Now, he was saying that as a joke. And I said to my son as a joke, actually, I would fight for a statue for Mary. And I put out a tweet. And that tweet was retweeted by the organisation as was, which is the Mary Seacole memorial statue appeal and I found out that there was these great people that were fighting for a statue for Mary and I decided that I would get involved and uh, and I got involved and Lord Soli and Dame Elizabeth Anionwu with all the trustees did a brilliant job in leading that campaign and, and I was privileged to be a part of it more towards the midsection to the end uh, to become an ambassador and a trustee and then to be invited to become uh, chair so it just goes to show that so. <laughs> <laughs> Go. <laughs> <laughs> you never quite know where you'll end up if the heart's in the right place. So that's wonderful. So going from sitting with your son to, you know, sort of jokingly and then putting that tweet out, to I was there that day when it was unveiled. How, how did that feel, that moment? Oh, it was incredible. I, oh, sorry, was your son there? Uh, my son was most definitely there. And in fact, I gave a, um, a speech during the evening reception because there was a day reception. I evening wasn't reception. invited. Uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
clear <laughs> oversight, okay. clear <laughs> oversight. And uh, the, the reason why I spoke at the evening but not during the day was because um, Lord Sully spoke during the day and I spoke uh, in the evening as the new chair and my son was, was right next to me and my, and my mother and father were also uh, in front of me as well. So it was a great a family moment actually, um, really was, I was very, very proud. Oh, I bet they're proud of you as well, it's a lovely story. Okay, the Windrush scandal. Following the Windrush scandal, why the film is essential to improving British children's education of Caribbean immigration and contribution of British society. What, what do you mean? Well, British history is complex and it is based on numerous uh, communities from around the world uh, who were... There was a real coming together, obviously, after the Second World War and the Windrush generation is indicative of that. It's important for people to understand the, the massive contribution made by the Windrush generation. And it's, it's, it's scandalous what happened in, in recent years through the hostile uh, environment. So it's important that people realise that to be British uh, is to be uh, those people from across what has become the Commonwealth um, and indeed other countries as well who have made a massive contribution uh, to this country. And why SECO is important is because it, it's a reminder that uh, the contribution for, from many from different uh, communities and races, and in particular the black community, goes before the Second World War. It goes before the First World War. It goes a lot further back. And this is an example, going back to the Crimean War, of the contribution of somebody, a, a black Jamaican, way back in the 1800s. And in fact, it goes way back before that too. So this is a reminder that our contribution is not a recent contribution. It's a very long contribution and it's a very significant and positive contribution. And I think the film about Mary Seeker will hopefully tell that story uh, in a way which does that justice. Okay, so can you tell us when the film's coming out? Who's going to be in it? Give us, you know, give us the heads up. Well, I, I don't know um, actually because the, the although funding has been agreed and there's uh, been in the media reports uh, about who will star in it, um, it's not been confirmed. So we are uh, trying desperately hard to liaise with the uh, media company and, and the producers. Uh, to make sure that we are uh, involved and are able to... Because we want it to make sure it's accurate. We, we want to make sure it's, it's accurate, but not to Hollywood, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Uh, this has got to be an accurate portrayal, and um, you know the, the, what, what we've got to be careful about is that it's not seen as fictional, uh, but it's more factual. Now, I've not seen the screenplay, so um, I don't know. I'm hoping to have an opportunity to, to see it, and we're hoping to be able to, as I say... Uh, make a contribution that this is a, uh, a factual piece uh, which is um, entertaining because Mary was that type of lady. Um, was she? What sort of lady was she? Well, she was a lady who uh, was, uh, as we understand, very full of life. Um, she loved wearing her big colourful dresses. Um, she uh, was very charismatic, uh, very determined lady who wouldn't say, uh, take no for an answer. Um, she had to be, uh, to, to be involved in, in war with soldiers around her as a, as a woman. 
she had to be very confident in terms of who she was. So, but above all, I think the idea, and we, we know because she wrote her book, The Wonderful Adventures of, of uh, Mary Seacole, uh, that she was a highly intelligent woman, very articulate, um, but above all, a great wit and sense of humour and determination. Okay. Well, I think we're, uh, I think we're there. Is there anything else you'd like to... I always ask people, is there anything you'd like me to, you know... Yeah, just maybe to say where the, to say where the statue is. Yes, please, yeah. So tell us the... Yeah, yeah you t- shout out to Norris. Well, uh, just on the statue itself, it's a beautiful piece of work sculpted by Martin Jennings. Um, it shows Mary walking stridently. It's a, a significant height, about three metres tall. So this is a very um, big uh, statue, but it's... Uh, on a, it's not on a, a high plinth, so you can feel that you're standing uh, alongside Mary. Of course, it's made of bronze with a huge disc behind her, and that disc represents the globe. So it's such a beautiful statue. I would invite anybody to, to come along and see it. It's at St Thomas's Hospital, uh, which is in London by Westminster Bridge. It's in the gardens uh, just behind the, uh, the, the uh, hospital. And there's also the Florence Nightingale Museum, which is on site as well and the Mary oh, in the hospital yeah the um the Florence Nightingale Museum is 50 meters or so from the statue and we've worked with the uh, museum to ensure that there's a permanent installation within that museum so you can go there and find out much more about Mary the herbs that she used to work with um there's a handling uh, trolley uh, and there's also a, a backdrop which is um an illustration of the British hotel so school children go there all the time they get a chance to see the British Hotel uh, and to, to sometimes there is an actress that plays uh, Mary as well. So it's worth visiting the museum, but most certainly it's worth visiting the statue. Oh, definitely. Um, is there something from the Crimea in that statue? Is the stone from Crimea? The, uh, the sculptor, Martin Jennings, was able to uh, get hold of some uh, old historic maps and he went out to the Crimea and he took a digital print of the ground, but he also noticed uh, some fragments there, which are believed possibly to be fragments from some of the old bottles during the, during the, the war. Uh, and he took a collection of the uh, fragments um, and he embedded that in the disc. So if you, if you look at the disc, the uh, imprint is that of the ground where the British Hotel was, and embedded in that are some fragments from that ground area. See, I love all those hidden little bits. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real treat. <laughs> Trevor, thank you so much for talking to me. And um, let's catch up when the film's out. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully we'll all be able to go along to the premiere and, uh, and enjoy what will be a, a great film, I'm sure. If I don't get invited along, Trevor, there'll be trouble. <laughs> thank you so much. You're very well.